So that tells you a little bit about the work that we did while we were there. Um, there was a lot of different things going on. Um, instead of three of those native outfits, actually 12 were sewn, and just tremendous amount of work that this crew did. Uh, there's a whiteboard you might have seen in the back of one of the pictures that was just filled with different things that were accomplished that week. I've asked um, Sam Williams and Bonnie Stock to share a little bit about um, what was happening, or what some of the perspective they saw happening at Laster Christian College. And last service we had people that were from the um, team come up and stand behind them and support them. I know at least Hunter's here. I don't know if there's anybody else here, but if you're here, we had a lot in last service. Come on up, Hunter. Come on up if you were on part of the team and come stand up here and support them so they're not lonely up here. Oh, Gordy's up here too. Good. And Dean? All right. This is Sam Williams. He's a high school student and Bonnie Stock, who is not. <laughs> My name is Sam Williams. I'm 16 years old, and I'm going to be a junior this coming year at the high school here in Alexandria. This was my second year going on the missions trip to Alaska, and I was so blessed this year to work with so many great people. Usually when I would think about working for the Lord, I imagine myself with a group of people sharing the gospel with many strangers. But this work was hard, dirty, and exhausting, yet still very rewarding. Knowing that the work we did will continue throughout the summer and hopefully be completed by the time the students return to school is so exciting. I was truly amazed with the dedication of the volunteers at ACC. A full-time volunteer named Dan moved to Alaska with his wife four years ago when he felt God telling him to stay after going on a mission trip with his church. His wife works alongside the ambassadors at the college who are students who stayed and volunteered over the summer. Majority of them come from remote villages where there aren't any roads and the only way to get to them is by snowmobile or boat. The ambassadors worked alongside us during the, during the week we were there, and it was very fun getting to know them. Most of them described that they came from abusive, violent, and broken homes, but God has called each and every one of them to ACC for a reason. Justice, who was one of the ambassadors, said that his high school graduation class had 13 students and six of them came to ACC. It was such a blessing to hear how God changed their lives for the better and how they plan to continue serving the Lord. It has encouraged me and strengthened my faith to know that God is at work in their lives as well as mine. Thank you. Thank you, Sam. Nice job. Um, I'm Bonnie Stock, and with my husband, Gordy, we've been on three trips to these Alaska missions, and I think we're hooked. Um, some of the other outcomes, rather than just the maintenance and rebuild, but the things that are kind of below the radar that happen inside us, one is a feeling of accomplishment. I think no matter what our skill level was or what our skill level isn't, we all felt like we contributed by our task and that it was important and it's a, a part of the big mosaic happening there. A second thing were the relationships that were built. And I know when I first started coming here six, seven years ago, big church, and I thought, how will we ever get to know anyone? And the mission trip has been a great way. And each year we connect with more people and know them more deeply. And I just think that's been a wonderful thing for us on a peer level. 
getting to know the students has been really rich. I think that I, I like my peers, but I love the kids. <laughs> and it's been just a wonderful thing. Uh, working alongside, they learn some skills, I think, from the adults. But we also have a chance to talk if you're not running a chainsaw. And in my group, painting, we had a chance to talk about life and uh, asked about some steps in my life and was able to share about how God led. And I got to listen to the kids and what their dreams and hopes are for the future. A third thing I think we do is bring encouragement uh, to the staff there as they work among the college students and come back and see maintenance and new builds and clean builds, all of that has got to be an encouragement to them, knowing that there are people behind them. And also, I think it brings encouragement to the Native Alaskan students who attend there. They feel cared for, especially when they know that people come from the lower 48, which is maybe a, a, a daunting place to them when they come, as Sam said, from these little remote villages, just a couple hundred people, several hundred, not many, no roads to connect them. And the other thing I learned is they don't need driver's licenses because there's no roads and no cars. So it's, it's a little different for them. And then all of a sudden they, they come. And it's a daunting place. But I think they're um, encouraged and given hope by being there. Each noon hour, we were privileged to hear their stories. Sam mentioned that. And that really spoke to us, the need that they're getting to know Jesus while they're there. And growing in a walk, and that's what it's really all about, giving them hope and also those skills, those college skills to go on and maybe even go on to uh, a four-year university or whatever. The idea of the counseling center, when we learned that these kids come with baggage, that 80% of them use counseling services, what a need for extending the size of that counseling center. So um, it's all good. Hope and encouragement are a big thing that comes with us, a byproduct of our, our work. But another byproduct is the blessing we receive. Um, the ambassadors were well representing the Alaska Native kids. They're upbeat, smiley, fun kids. And they worked alongside us and they played alongside us. I think about cramming 15 people into the 15 passenger vans if we were off to do something. And you get to know people up close and personal in those situations. So thank you if you helped support one of our students to go. I think it's been probably a real rich experience for them. Um, both of these guys are repeats and, and going on the mission trip. So I think that says something. Thank you very much. Oops, it was a great, great week. Um, I want to try to tie in a parallel between the story of the history of Israel, and if you've been reading through um, the, the Bible this year with a bunch of us, uh, we're already up through into a major part of Kings, so you'll hear some of what, that happen, what has happened with Israel. But I want to give you a quick overview of the, of the history of Israel and tie that in of kind of an overview of the history of Alaska, because I think there's some parallels that we can learn from there. And we're going to end up uh, in Scripture in the book of Nehemiah today. First parallel is reaching the unreached, the gospel shared. 
In the life of Israel, early on, as you've been, if you've read part of the Old Testament, you'll know that God approached Abram, whose name was later changed to Abraham, and he said, I want you to be the father of a nation, which was the Israelites. And he also told him that his descendants, Abraham's descendants, would be a blessing to all of the nations. As we know, Jesus descended from Abraham, and he was that blessing that God was talking about. He brought salvation, he brought eternal life to all the nations, is what we call the gospel. In Alaska, in the late 1880s, the missionaries came to Alaska to start sharing the gospel all through different parts of Alaska. It was, it was considered in Alaska at the time foreign missions because it wasn't a United States state. Um, so they sent foreign missionaries to Alaska. They planted churches. They started schools. They did all kinds of, of different things, did discipleship things uh, to reach the people of Alaska. But then the gospels interrupted. In Israel's lifetime, uh, the land of Israel had been taken captive by the Babylonians. They were captive for 150 years. That was because Israel had turned their back on God. They started worshiping other idols and just did things that were evil in the sight of God. So he allowed them to be taken captive, removed from their land. The temple was destroyed, and many of their cities were broken down. The Gospels also interrupted in Alaska. In 1959, Alaska became our 49th state, which is a good thing, but it also affected the Gospel in Alaska in that it was now not a foreign mission anymore. And so if you know about missions organizations, a lot of them concentrate on sending people to other countries, foreign missions, and then we have domestic missions. A lot easier to raise money for foreign missions than it is domestic missions. And so a lot of the missionaries were sent home because Alaska is no longer a foreign mission field. And so the churches, many of the churches survived, but struggled and were vulnerable. The schools that they had started, most of those shut down. A lot of the discipleship that was going on shut down as the missionaries and the dollars left Alaska. And Alaska was vulnerable at that point. Then we get to the gospel reignited. In Israel's um, timeline, the Persians came and defeated the Babylonians. So Israel had been in captivity for 150 years. The Persians came along, defeated the Babylonians. They had a different way to deal with foreigners. They decided they were going to let those that wanted to go back to their lands go and rebuild their land. And so some of the Israelites went back to Jerusalem and actually rebuilt the temple. And in Nehemiah's time, which we're going to get to here in just a second, the temple had been rebuilt. But the walls around Jerusalem and all the gates were still broken down. And so the temple and Jerusalem were vulnerable for attacks. Um, being attacked again. Um, the temple that had been rebuilt kind of started reigniting um, the, the God's worship, or God's word and God's worship within the lives of the people that were in the Jerusalem area. God gave Nehemiah a vision. Now, Nehemiah was a cupbearer, a cupbearer in that time. He was a cupbearer for the king of Persia. He would take the cup that the king wanted to drink, whether it was wine or whatever it was, and he would take a drink of it first, and if he didn't fall over dead, then he'd give it to the king to drink because poisoning was one of the things that they got away, you know, got rid of kings. And so it wasn't a highly technical job. Um, it was one that could be replaced, but he was a cupbearer for the king. He wasn't a wealthy businessman. He wasn't a carpenter or builder. He wasn't a religious leader. He was a cupbearer that God gave his vision to. And the vision was to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. 
and to reestablish that city. And the purpose was to bring the word of God and worship back to the people of Israel to reestablish their faith. In Alaska, the gospel is also reignited. Um, after it became a state and a lot of the missionaries left, um, there were people that got together and said, we need to do something in Alaska. We need to, to send people to Alaska to help spread the gospel, disciple people in Alaska. And in 1999, one of those groups was a group of covenant pastors, along with some other lay leaders, who had a vision to develop a one-year discipleship school in Alaska for native Alaskans. In 2000, they asked Keith Hamilton, which you saw on the video, they asked him to head up the school. And in 2001, as Keith said, the school began and Alaska Christian College was born. And this is their mission statement, which was also mentioned in the video. The mission of Alaska Christian College is to empower Alaska natives through biblically-based higher education and Christian formation to pursue excellence in character, learning, and service as followers of Christ. The next parallel is serving together. That's how the gospel expands. In Israel's time, now we're at Nehemiah's time. He's got this vision, but Nehemiah couldn't do that alone. He couldn't rebuild the walls alone. He had to have permission from the king of Persia to leave because he had a job there, and the king gave him that permission. He had to have materials. They didn't have any materials. They didn't have a budget to, to put in to build this wall, and the king actually gave him materials. He had to have the authority of the king. Um, to be able to go and rebuild this wall. He had to have the protection of the king because they were traveling with these materials and all the different things um, to go to Jerusalem. So he had to have the protection of the king, which he got. And he needed lots of volunteer labor. In Nehemiah chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it talks about the people that started building this wall. It says, Then Eliashib, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set up its doors, building the wall as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated in the Tower of Hananel. People from the town of Jericho worked next to them, and beyond them was Zucher, son of Imri. So it started out in this chapter with the priests, the religious leaders, rolling up their sleeves, getting their hands dirty, not putting that off onto somebody else that they thought was lower than them, but they actually rolled up their sleeves and started this work of building these gates and these walls. And it continues on in verse 3 and 5. The fish gate was built by the sons of Hassanah. They laid the beans, set up the doors, and installed the bolts and bars. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the grandson of Hekaz, repaired the next section of the wall. Beside him was Meshulam, son of Berezekiah, the grandson of Meshezebel. Then Zadok, son of Bana. Next were the people from Tekoa though their leaders refused to work with the construction supervisors. So all kinds of different people are involved in constructing this, even people that weren't all that easy to get along with. The people at Tekoa, they're like, yeah, we'll build the wall, but we're not working with those supervisors. We're going to do it on our own. So it's continued to build the wall with all these different people. Throughout the rest of that chapter, it mentions all kinds of people that were involved with building the walls, and none of them were skilled carpenters or professionals. It said some people traveled from great distances, 300 miles. It said they came from the Euphrates River, 300 miles away without modern transportation just to build this wall around Jerusalem. They had non-construction workers. They had goldsmiths, perfume makers, government officials, grandkids, daughters with their fathers, Levites who led the temple worship, temple workers, priests from other regions, all came together to build this wall. 
But they had resistance. They had resistance of people that nagged at them. They had resistance of people that wanted to tear down the wall. At one point in Nehemiah, they talked about how they worked with one hand, had, held a spear in the other hand just to keep going on this wall. In chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, it says, Sanballat was very angry when he learned that they were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, What does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build a wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones of that? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, the stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. So they're looking at all these people that are, they aren't builders. They're just normal people out there putting those stone walls together and those, those gates together and saying, it's, it's never going to happen. It's never going to last. It can't be done with this kind of volunteer labor. But in Nehemiah chapter 6, we find that the wall finally gets done. So on October 2nd, the wall was finished just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and they were humiliated. They realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Nehemiah chapter 8 talks about the reason for building this wall. And it wasn't just to build a nice pretty wall. It wasn't just to build a fortification. There was a purpose behind it. Nehemiah 8, it says, And all the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. So on October 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and women and all the children old enough to understand. He faced the square inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. Their purpose of building that, law, that wall, protect the temple, yes, protect the, the city, yes, but so that the word of God would continue to impact and infiltrate the Israelites as they came back to worship. Alaska, the gospel has expanded there through people serving together as well. Specifically at Alaska Christian College, because that's the place we've served, every summer a team of believers travels to Soldatna. Um, from all over the country. Every week there is a group of workers that come to Alaska Christian College to help build and rebuild the physical structure. Our team, our team consisted of pros, professionals. We had carpenters, painters, and landscapers, but also some skilled laborers, some home remodelers, some sewers, some general handy people, and then willing workers, ones that were not skilled necessarily in chainsawing or carpentry or those kinds of things, but were willing to be trained and to lend a hand. All kinds of different people came together to build. We had students, we had retired people, we had accountants, we had office workers, daycare workers, soap makers, pastors, people from all walks of life building for a common purpose. And that purpose was to see the gospel proclaimed to students, discipled, uh, and discipled students to live out the word of God in Alaska. So to sum it up, Nehemiah built the law with volunteer labor. Alaskan Christian College building their campus with volunteer labor. But the, for both of them, the main purpose was to proclaim the wor to the world that God is active and alive. And the verse we read in uh, Nehemiah chapter 6, 16 says, they realized this work had been done with the help of of our God. They didn't do it alone. So I love missions trips. 
I love them because it changes you. It changes you because you see things that you would never have seen or experienced before. You get to encourage people that are bringing the gospel to an unreached people group, um, but you also get to hear from people and rub shoulders with people that the gospel's impacted. We heard, as was already been said, we heard from the students that the gospel has impacted and how their life has changed because of the ministry of, Ale- of um, Alexandria, yeah, Alaska Christian College. But today isn't a recruitment for the next trip to Alaska or wherever we go next. Um, this is a, really, I want this to be a challenge to serve alongside other believers wherever God has placed you. Missions trips, maybe. VBS, serving on a board, being a greeter, something, another ministry in the church, maybe. Serving with a local parachurch ministry, maybe. Growing in your faith, doing it alongside other believers, absolutely. Living righteously together as a community of believers, absolutely. Teaching and training our children and grandchildren in their faith with the support of the church, absolutely. It doesn't take only pros to build a wall or serve in a ministry. Pastors and staff alone can't accomplish the work that God has kind of laid out before us here in Alexandria in the broader area. It takes faithful servants servants serving shoulder to shoulder alongside each other. And it takes those who are willing to be stretched and maybe do something they've never done before. So let's build a wall together. Let's deepen our faith and community Small groups, Sunday school, life groups, let's allow the gospel to shine through us so our community can see God in our actions. Let's surround our kids with people and friends who are living out their faith. Let's make worshiping the Lord alongside other believers a priority. God uses his people to do his work. In Matthew 16, 18, he says, I, God, will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Are you ready to join the team. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for the opportunity to serve in Alaska this summer uh, to help accomplish the work that you set out for Alaska Christian College to accomplish. Thank you for the team members that gave sacrificially of their bodies and of their finances to be able to do that. God, thank you for this group of this church, this body that sent us out. God, I pray that as a, a body of believers that we would continue to grow alongside each other, worship alongside each other, and serve alongside each other. In Jesus' name, amen.